Good evening, everyone. God's peace. Let's start with 104 and followed by 414.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening hour of grace, and we come with thankful hearts even that you have allowed us to gather here together, given us a place to gather, that you have even given a desire, Father, that we would know more of your loving goodness towards us that is found in your word. We ask that you would continue, that we would, to grow that within us, that we would need to know more and more of your holy and eternal word. And we thank you then for life and salvation that is found freely in the merits of your dear son. We thank you then that even you engender faith in the heart that we can lay hold upon those promises of your word and that we can find our very all in all, our hope and our treasure in your son and what he has done for us. And that you even then put a living hope within us then that we have a hope of life eternal again through the merits of your son and what he has done for us. So, Father, we ask that you would even bless our brother John this evening and open the word, the text that he has chosen unto him, give him words to speak, clarity of thought to speak those things, <clears throat> that we, we could all hear then what you would have for us to hear, and that you would open our ears and our hearts then to hear and receive. And we ask then for, we know so many who suffer then from things of body and a mind. Seems like every time we turn around, we hear of more. So we ask then that you would bless each one then who struggles with whatever it is and that they would be comforted by you and your word and that there would be the strength and the healing and whatever that you have for them, that they could receive it from you. And that for each of us then, that we would receive all the things that we need in this life with thankful hearts and we desire to thank you for those things. So we ask then that you would be with us even as this time as we gather together and leave it then in your care and your keeping. Then hear us then as we pray that perfect prayer that your Son has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We'll continue then with song number 86, Nearer Still Nearer.
Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, be with us all. Amen. Tonight I've chosen for a text from the epistle, uh, for the calendar text, found in the fifth chapter of Romans. Uh, verses. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11, and that's going to be Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. And we read in Jesus' name. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Amen. Paul begins our text with the word, therefore. And um, as the saying goes, that when you see the word, therefore, that uh, we must see what it's there for. And, it, you, and it's, it's typically pointing to what's been said in the previous uh, part of his letter. And in, in Paul, it makes it so abundantly clear in these first four chapters that we cannot be justified by the deeds of the law. But we must be justified by faith. You know, as he begins there and he, he starts already there in the third chapter and here he says like that, that there is, uh, there is, um, there is none that understandeth, there is, oh, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So that's pretty inclusive of all of us. There is not one of us that can do the good that is required of God. And this is the law of God. This is, uh, this is what... Um, God's word of truth teaches us that there, his law is so perfect that we cannot measure up to it. And oh, dear ones, that we would hear of God's word in such a clarity that we would understand this matter. Because when the law of God is uh, emphasized and it is clarified in the word of God, it truly brings us to a place where we no longer hope in ourselves. But then our hope 
is established in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as Paul says there in the beginning of his uh, first chapter there, in about the 16th verse, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Very clear as Paul builds, uh, he, he builds his fact by layers as he goes through these uh, chapters uh, in Romans here. And he's so um, thorough and so clear in this matter that there is no denying this matter, that there is only one way to be righteous or to be just is that is by faith. And then he says in the 20th verse of the third chapter, Therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, already written of in the Old Testament, the promise of the gospel. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know, when the word of God uh, preaches unto us that we are unable, it doesn't stop there, but it completes it by preaching unto us of the free gift, of the free gift of righteousness in Jesus Christ by faith. You know, I was thinking of it this evening that when God, in his uh, bringing salvation to man, he doesn't bring it in such a way that he brings us to a point partially and then stops. And then he, does, he, well, he doesn't leave us there. But no, God is a complete God who knows how to save mankind. And it's simple. He brings his salvation in completeness. And that is that he would first convince us that we are truly unable to keep his law but yet convince us that we truly are saved freely by God's grace. And then as we remember the, the verse in the third chapter, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And then he goes in the fourth chapter and he begins to speak of Abraham. And how Abraham, in the third verse, or the second verse, third verse, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. There's faith. He believed God. Believing and faith are synonymous. He believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And this was before Abraham had received the circumcision, before the law of Moses was given. This was Abraham simply believing God's word and receiving the righteousness of faith. And then at the, uh, as it goes on and it speaks at the end of that fourth chapter, when it speaks at length about Abraham, or Brother David spoke from the other night, and we heard about this faith of Abraham. But it, towards the end, he doesn't leave us out. He says like this, Now it was written, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, Abraham, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So that faith that Abraham had, if we have that same faith, then that righteousness is imputed to us also. You know, when God told Abraham to go out of his tent and look at the stars, and he said that, uh, that 
and I think it's even referred to in this fourth chapter, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. He said to Abraham, as you see those stars there, so shall thy seed be. And uh, we are those children of Abraham, as it says there in Galatians, that they which are of faith, the same are also of Abraham. So we have that same faith that Abraham had. We believe the word of God. And this is how faith is imputed. This is how righteousness was imputed unto us. And when he says, therefore, being justified, he means that to be just is to be righteous. You know, just is a forensic word. It means that you are without accusation. You are pure and right. That you stand just before God. There's nothing against you because of that faith justifying you. And therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace is the opposite of enmity. It means there is nothing between us and God. We are at peace. You know... Paul writes later in the Romans of this same thing when he says like this in the 8th chapter. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. You know, as we'll go into this uh, fifth chapter, we'll begin to see that we need to be in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. And this complete salvation that we're speaking of includes this Holy Spirit that God has given to us. And he promises to give it to all those who believe. And we even heard, uh, I think a week ago, um, about Nicodemus when he uh, went to Jesus. And how Jesus told Nicodemus that we must be born of the Spirit. Why do we need to be born of the Spirit? Because our flesh is dead. Our flesh is incapable of serving God. So we must be given life. And the life is the Spirit. It's the life of Christ. As he said, because I live, you shall live also how does it say there in that 8th chapter? If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. When we're born of the spirit, as he told Nicodemus, then we're born of that true life and we're able to follow according to his commandments. Otherwise, we have no power or ability to even be just or to walk in his commandments. But we must be born of that spirit that we might have, not only would our sins be truly washed away, but we would be also able to walk in truth. And so that's how I think it really uh, refers to it in the last verse of that fourth chapter, who was delivered, speaking of Christ, who was delivered for our offenses. In other words, he shed his blood so that our offenses would be washed clean. But he was raised again for our justification, it says. That's so you can walk justly before God. You know how Jesus spoke of that Holy Spirit that he said, it's expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. What was he meaning by go away? He needed to go to his cross and there suffer for our sins, go to the grave and be raised again and be set at the Father's right hand. That's what he meant when he said, it is expedient that I go away. Remember in the beginning of that fourth chapter, he began by saying, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what he was speaking of. That ability to live in his spirit. That's the place he was speaking of. 
And this is important, that we have walked justly before God, that we would have this peace with God. And, then, and, and I love how this verse finishes, through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul is so careful to not leave any detail out here. That faith that you have is not your faith alone, but it's the faith that, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in this whole uh, text that we read this evening is connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it speaks of all these terms. It speaks of faith and peace, and it speaks of grace, and it speaks of, uh, of hope and love. None of those things can we have except Jesus be with them. This is our Savior. He is such a complete Savior that we, in order to have these essential matters, we have to have Jesus, and we have to have his Spirit which he promises to those who believe. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Such a summarizing verse of what Paul wrote in the first four chapters, so beautifully summarized, that Jesus is that one who completes everything. And then he says, by whom? Speaking of Jesus, by whom? Also, we have access by faith into this grace. You know, this grace, um, it makes me think of this matter of having access into his grace that um, I believe that uh, I was listening to uh, a brother speak this morning about this text. And I heard him say this, that he said that when Jesus gave up the ghost there on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent in two. And that meant that that way into the holiest of holies was made open. And Jesus, as the one who performed this matter, so that man would have a way unto that holy place. That's that access that we have. They were able then to go already to the very, uh, very uh, before the very right hand of the Father in heaven as Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. Well, how is that? When we're here upon this earth, well, we are in his presence. He promises that in his word. In that 14th chapter of John, remember how he said, I was speaking earlier of how it is expedient that I go away. Remember how he said that uh, there. He said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. That's the very presence of the Father. That's the presence of his Holy Spirit. That we are in the very presence of God. That's this access by faith into this grace. You know, and that word grace is a beautiful word as a salvation term. It speaks of God's unmerited favor towards us. In other words, we don't merit this favor, but he has set, given us his favor. But it speaks even more than his favor. It speaks of his power. It speaks of this matter that he who has begun this work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He will do this work in you. That's grace, dear one. And uh, it makes this whole matter of salvation very, very certain. As Paul wrote there in the fourth chapter about the 16th verse, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, in other words, to the purpose, that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Notice that. 
that the promise might be sure. How certain are God's promises? There is no more certain matter than God's promises. God could never go back on a promise. His promises are sure. Remember how the Hebrew writer said that this new covenant is a better covenant because it's established upon better promises. The old covenant, man promised that he would keep the, the law of God. But that failed. But in the new covenant, Jesus promised to do everything for us. And that promise will never fail. That's how sure this promise is. And that's why Paul says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. That's us. So by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We stand there. We are firmly standing on that grace and that faith in Jesus and the hope in Jesus. Like we spoke earlier, when we begin, the law begins to convince us of who we are, we, we despair of our hope in ourselves. And then we begin to hope in Jesus. And there is a sure foundation. That hope in Jesus is not like the word hope is used in, in our everyday language. I hope it will not rain tomorrow. No, the hope in Jesus is certain and solid. And we stand there. Remember how Jesus talked about that uh, wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains came and the floods came. But the house stood because it was founded upon a rock. And that rock is this what we're speaking of, is this hope in Jesus Christ. It will not crumble. It will not fail. We rejoice, we stand there. You know, Paul says in the Colossians that we should not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. There's that solid hope. Don't be moved from that. Don't trust in any other thing. Don't hope in any other one. Just hope in Jesus alone. That's what this word is leading us to, dear ones. That's why the law is preached. That's what it's for. By the knowledge of sin, that we would see that we live by faith alone. And we receive all of the blessings from God through this faith and this word and the spirit. And you can't journey this Christian journey without that. You have to be born of the spirit. You have to walk in the spirit, even as Paul wrote in the 8th chapter of Romans, how he said like that, that... How does he say there that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit? How are you going to fulfill his law? Not by walking of our own will and our own flesh, but by walking in his life, in his spirit. That's how we fulfill this matter. Well, let's finish this second verse. And he says, And rejoice in hope. There's that term, hope. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in that hope. Why do we rejoice in that hope? Because it's such a solid hope. There is no better place to be found than in that hope in Jesus. And I think he means when he says, We hope of the glory of God. Who is the glory of God? Isn't it Jesus, what he has done for us? That's the glory of God. That's what we boast in. That's what really that word glory means, that we can boast in that. We can glory in that. As Paul wrote to the first Corinthians, that let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. We can't glory in this flesh. No, there's no, there's no truth in that. There's nothing to glory of in this flesh. 
or of any other hope, but in that hope that's established on Jesus. Then as we go into the third verse, he turns a little bit and he says, Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Now this sounds a little bit more disagreeable and a little more difficult to grasp. How could you glory in tribulations also? Well, no Christian would desire to have tribulation. But I believe that all Christians, when they are tried, they take it with patience. Because that's what this faith teaches them. That I don't really enjoy this trial. It's difficult to go through trials. But then what does that trial do as we read further here? It says that... uh, Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. You know, most trials don't just end quickly. They can be long-term. They could be lifelong even. But they do work patience in the Christian. Why? Because his hope is more placed in Jesus. What do we do when we're tried? Well, sometimes we get so numb that we don't even know what to do, and maybe it's nice then as another Christian would come alongside and encourage us in the gospel. What is he doing? He's pointing you to a hope, a hope that you can actually find some solace in. And that's where we eventually go, don't we? We go to that place where we look to Jesus and we say, well, As difficult as this is, I only have one hope, that's in you. And uh, as it goes on and says there, and then as patience works experience, and experience hope. We come back to that matter of hope. And that's that solid hope, that hope that's in Jesus alone. You know, and I don't know what exactly Paul is referring to as far as tribulations. But certainly, it's just natural for this life to often encounter tribulation. And oftentimes, it's because of the instances of life. But then oftentimes, it's because of our own corruption that we stumble and fail because we have our own corruption. We don't do the things as we ought to. And we suffer that way also. But that still teaches us to hope in who? To hope in Jesus. That's our only solution for sin, for the temptation of sin, for the trouble of sin, is to hope in Jesus. You know, you wonder that how Satan must at some point be angry and defeated. Because he can point out our sin, and he's right. He's right. But we can point to Jesus and say that Jesus died for my sin. And my only hope from sin is Jesus. And, you know, the devil loses, doesn't he? You know, God didn't send a salvation that would somehow fall short or come up short in this battle against the enemy. No, he sent a salvation that is fully equipped to be victorious over your enemy. So no matter what comes, it ends up that we're victorious in Jesus Christ. As John writes in his epistle, this is the victory which overcometh the world, even our faith, faith in Jesus. Remember what Jesus said there in that 14th chapter of John that in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So everything that could be laid in front of you as a hindrance in this life, Jesus has overcome. That's what he means. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
And, you know, he may have been maybe more specifically speaking of our sin trouble, which certainly Jesus is victorious over. And that when we believe upon him, we have victory. You know, sometimes we're wounded and troubled in battle, but through it all, Jesus is that one who delivers. And we can hear that gospel. I can even preach it to you this evening that you can believe your sins forgiven in the name and shed blood of Jesus. And that is a powerful preaching gospel because it preaches of a truth of what Jesus has done for us. So our victory is in this hope in Jesus. And then in the fifth verse it says, And hope maketh not ashamed. An old English term for saying that hope will never leave you disappointed. Hope will never let you down, this hope in Jesus. Because it is that solid. It will never leave us without. Psalm 34 comes to mind in the last verse. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. No, dear one, when Jesus, when God the Father loved us so much that he sent his only son to come to earth and die in our place, so that he could be that just one, so that he could still carry out his law, as he has already uh, stated it. But that the wrath of sin and the wrath of the law and the punishment of the law was laid upon his son Jesus. That's love, dear one. When he did all of that, when he did all of that, do you think that he would not hear your cry? When you cry in your despair of your sin, no, dear one, he longs for you to cry that cry because he has given all for you. He has made the way for you. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God, the love of God is shed abroad or poured out upon us in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So we were given life by that Holy Spirit as we talked earlier, that we were given this whole matter of what this Holy Spirit was, is this very presence of God the Father and God the Son. You know, and Paul writes there to the Galatians, of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that is love. Is God love? Yes. He is love. As John writes in his epistle, God is love. And he gives us that love like we see here in this fifth verse. He pours it out upon us. You know, dear one, this Holy Ghost leads us into all truth. It, like Jesus said, he shall come and... Take the things of mine and show them unto you. He shall guide you into all truth. And it is true that God loves us. Love, in other words, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. Does God bring joy? Yes, he does when he brings this whole matter of salvation to us. Our, our text even says that we joy in God through Christ Jesus. Peace is that third uh, attribute. Does God bring peace? He does. Through his son, Jesus Christ. Long-suffering, that's patience. Does he teach us that? Yes, through his son, Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness. Is God good to us? Yes, he is good through his son, Jesus Christ. Meekness. Remember how Jesus says, Come of me, come and learn of me.
for I am meek and lowly in heart. You know, all those fruit of the Spirit, they are really that in Christ. They really are what Jesus is. And when he is in our hearts by his Spirit, that's why the fruit of the Spirit describes him. Because it is the very presence of the Son of God in the Father. And so this speaks so beautifully. We heard even this morning about that living water that uh, is uh, given unto us by the Lord. And uh, I think we may have even heard there in John's seventh chapter, was it, where Jesus spoke of that living water. How did that go? Yeah, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Did he not say that I will come and make my abode with you? He dwells right in us. And now Jesus says, out of his belly shall flow your belly, shall flow rivers of living water. He's speaking of that as it goes on and he says, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. That spake he of the Spirit. That's that living water, that life-giving water. That's true life. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. And that's why we're victorious. We wouldn't be victorious if he didn't come and dwell within us. If Jesus didn't come and make his presence there within us, we wouldn't have a belly that flowed with living water. We wouldn't have a very presence of the Father with us. You see how Jesus is that part that makes everything complete, even in our reading of our text tonight. You can't go without Jesus. He puts this matter complete everywhere. Sixth verse, for when we were yet without strength, we were without strength. In other words, being dead in our sin, has, there's no strength to that. When we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. This verse speaks of how God has done in the entire work of salvation, and he hasn't left any for man to do here. For when we were yet without strength, where were we? We were without strength. He did this matter. He came and he died. He died for us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. So there is maybe a circumstance where perhaps maybe in, in war. Where one man might die to save others. He might feel it necessary to die to save his comrades. And it has happened. And it is a noble matter. And I'm sure those who survive uh, very much realize how much that man loved them. But what uh, Paul is trying to draw the converse here is he's trying to draw the contrast that Jesus came and died for us while we were his enemy. Now, dear one, um, it's one thing to love somebody that you know you love and you have some, maybe some allegiance to because of what they've done for you. Oftentimes, that's the case in war comrades. They do for each other. They save each other's lives. And they often feel like they owe each other. But really, dear one, God came and sent Jesus to die for us while we were his enemies. How does it go on? It says, um, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And as he says in the 10th verse, we were enemies. So that same uh, soldier that would give his life for his comrades, he wouldn't give his life to save the enemy. But that's exactly, dear one, that's exactly what God was doing when he sent his son to die for us. He was coming to save his enemies. And you know, even furthermore, when Jesus paid for the price of sin, and it was a bitter price, it was a very bitter price he paid, literally to the point of being separated from the Father. When he paid that price, it was voluntary. What I mean by that is that he was innocent. He didn't need to go to death. He was perfect. Yet he chose to for our sake. That's important to remember. Because that's his love towards us. That's his obedience to the Father, but yet his love towards us, which are synonymous. He chose to die for you and me. He chose to take your punishment and my punishment, which was death, which was separation from the Father, from God. He chose to take that for you and I. And this was on, on the, uh, on the uh, commandment of his Father. His father, remember how he said in the 10th chapter of John that he says that um, no, um, I lay down my life of myself, uh, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and take it again. This commandment I have received of my father. You know, God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. You can't describe love any more clear than that. And this, I believe, is what Paul is driving to here. He's saying, For God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So that blood which he shed made us just, because it paid the penalty of sin. That precious blood, as Peter writes, uh, that precious blood paid the price for sin and saved us from wrath. What is that wrath? Eternal destruction it is. He saved us from that wrath. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So I, I believe he's speaking here of both his death and his resurrection. That uh, as he goes on in the next chapter, he says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. We are born anew in Christ. We are crucified together with him and born anew with him. He is that one who has been the forerunner unto death and the forerunner unto life. And we follow him in this. So this is this whole matter where we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. In other words, that death that he died for us made peace between us and God but we are also saved by his life. So that, in other words, we can't be saved by his death alone, but we must be saved by his death and his life. Because he, as he told us, that you must be born again, as he told Nicodemus. And that truly is because of his resurrection. So you see, dear one, how Jesus is such a complete Savior. He has taken care of every provision for our salvation. Remember how he said, I live so that you may live also. And not only so, we go in our last verse of our text, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
by whom we have now received the atonement. We joy in God. We rejoice in the Father because he has provided us this salvation so complete. And you know, and God is this one who never changes. He's an unchanging God. And he has committed his love towards you and I in his son, Jesus Christ. He can't change. He's already committed that love to you and I. And that's why we can rejoice in him. Because we can see now that he has made this whole matter complete in his son, Jesus Christ. And dear one, you, you suffer many things in this life, sin among them. But you can rejoice even this evening because God has authored this salvation in such a manner that there is nothing in this life that can stand between you and heaven. Nothing can hinder you because God has accomplished all things through his son, Jesus Christ. So no matter what we face, whether it be sin, great sin, small sin, all sin, troubles and trials, whatever we face, how does he say there? We can read that in 8th chapter. For I am persuaded. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I was going to read in closing. From the last two verses of Jude, which kind of summarizes what we read tonight. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your blessed salvation. We thank you for your blessed salvation in your Son, Jesus. So complete, so thorough, so all-encompassing, so that we needn't worry, we needn't be anxious, because you have accomplished all complete in him. He is all-sufficient for us. Oh, thank you, Father. We cannot thank you enough for this great salvation. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.